Hi, my name is Josie Hines, and I'll be the host of this episode of The Influence of Influencers. Today, we'll be looking at how the relationship between advertising and influencers works. We'll look at how consumers interact with celebrity and influencer endorsements, and we'll also hear from U of U professor Curtis Newbold. Don't worry, it's just me. And I'm here to cook today's sponsor, HelloFresh. Just a decade ago, the term influencer was almost unheard of. In this episode, we trace the journey from billboards to Instagram stories, examining how influencers have become the new face of advertising. My colleague, George Katsanavis, shows us how this shift is not just a trend, but a revolution in the advertising world. The influencer space is continuing to grow as it becomes more and more admired by young people. According to CBS News, 86% of young people said that they would be willing to try out social media influencing. That's a pretty impressive number, but while this space is so admired, it has its pros and cons. Not every influencer is going to have the best morals. You may find some that are more concerned with profit rather than purpose. What I mean by this, for example, is some influencers may take brand deals and promote products in which they really aren't invested in and know very little about. Business owner Jim Katzenavis says it's important to fact-check an influencer-endorsed product prior to buying it. If I was looking to buy a product, I would want to find an influencer. If I was going to use him for advertising or if I was going to buy from him, it'd have to be somebody that I trusted and that was involved in the field that I'm selling in. Um, because if, if, like, say it's fly fishing or something like that, and the guy's uh, a champion, and he's got a lot of awards and everything, I'm more likely to buy his flies because I trust him, uh, because I think he knows what he's doing. If he has no experience in the field, then I'm thinking, well, what does this guy know that I don't know? So I would probably pass. I mean, just same thing like dog products. If a veterinarian was uh, recommending some health product for my dog, and she had uh, credentials behind her name, and you could tell that she was a dog lover, then I would probably buy the product. But if I felt like she was just doing it as a job and, and she had no, she didn't care, um, then that would turn me off, you know, if I got that vibe. So I think it's important uh, when you use somebody in your business as an influencer that you feel like they're genuine and the public gets the same feeling because if the public feels like they're being sold something that they don't believe in, then they're probably not going to buy. An example of why you should fact-check influencer endorsements of any kind is Twitter influencer and MMA fighter Dylan Dennis, a YouTuber by the name of CoffeeZilla, made a video where he essentially created a fake NFT project and asked Dennis to promote it on his Twitter page for a chunk of change. In doing so, he made it quite apparent that this was in fact a fake NFT project and even said so in the contract. However, Dennis had no regard for what he was promoting and instead just wanted some money. Dennis was paid $5,000 to post a 24-hour tweet with a link to this fake NFT project on his Twitter. Later, CoffeeZilla would change the website to show all the promoted scams by Dylan Dennis, exposing to his followers they've been scammed in the past. This is one of the poor possibilities of promotions within the influencer space, so be careful who you trust and do your own research. Some influencers 
may genuinely be promoting a beneficial product that they use daily. So don't think all influencers are bad. Many really prioritize their audience and want to keep them happy and entertained. Some examples of influencers connecting with their audience include giveaways, contests, and even merchandise. Many probably know the popular YouTuber MrBeast who has some of the wildest giveaways and contests. He is a wonderful example of an influencer that has built a positive relationship with his audience. He is constantly bringing subscribers on to be in videos and compete for large sums of money. Not only does he have these outrageous contests, he also has his own chocolate brand Feastables, which is just another way in which he can connect with his audience. Mr. Beast is an extreme example, of course, as not many influencers are able to do what he does for his audience. Here's a clip from one of his giveaways, where he only managed to make it 33 seconds before giving out money. I'm going to see if I can walk around that Walmart for one minute without giving away 10 grand. I just walked into Walmart, the timer just started. Okay, so let's see if we can go an entire minute without giving away money. Hey, how's it going? Good. Good, okay. We're doing good. Let's say what, we're closing in on 20 seconds? Hey, hope you're having a good day. Yeah, nothing to see here. But, what, we're probably closing in on 30 seconds? Um, Tariq, there's uh, bagels there. Sorry. Uh, hello there. Hey, you, you having a good day? There's 10 grand, here you go. Darn it. New Instagram fishing influencer Manoli Katsneva says it's important to accommodate what the viewers want to keep them entertained. I believe as an influencer you need to constantly keep up to date in the community of content you post. What are the trends, the songs being used, and even certain hashtags? When you do that, it helps, you con it helps your content appeal to the right audience and keeps them entertained. You could even try to arrange some meetups. Engaging with your audience is detrimental to your success, as is creating a good relationship with the public. It is important that you validate the authenticity of influencer-endorsed products because they are not all what they're made to be. A fellow student at the University of Utah by the name of Nico Paulus says he believes influencers play a big role in how the public behaves. I believe influencers can definitely affect what we purchase. Logan Paul, for example, in his sports drink Prime, he just used his popularity as an influencer and in return sold millions worth of his product. Remember, do your own research. I'm George Katzenavis with today's story. Next, we'll turn to Marley Huggins, who sat down with U of U professor Curtis Newbold to learn all about the world of advertising. I'm Marley Huggins, and I'm here with Professor Newbold to talk about advertising and influencers. So if you could just introduce yourself, that would be great. Yeah, hi, I'm Curtis Newbold. I'm a professor here at the U. I teach strategic communication classes. I've only been here about a year, so relatively new, but excited to meet with you today, Marley. Thank you. And what made you interested in um, strategic communications? That's a long story and probably a complicated answer, but I started out my career in business, technical, and professional communication and have just sort of evolved into different spaces. I've always been interested in advertising and marketing, kind of curious about how people are influenced by messages. So I've studied things like rhetoric and persuasion and information design and data visualization kind of combined all these things into one place that seems to make a lot of sense and that tends to be in strategic communication. 
Uh, now that social media influencer is becoming more of a common job title, uh, what do you think the main source of income is coming from? Do you think it's the social media platform themselves or brand deals? Wow, that's a good question. You know, I think a lot depends on what the influencer is involved in specifically. You know, if they're a fashion blogger or, or um, an influencer in the fashion arena, I think, yes, a lot of their income is probably going to come from um, products uh, that they're promoting and the companies that they're collaborating with. But many influencers work in different spaces today. So you might have an influencer, for example, in data visualization who makes a lot of their money teaching courses to people who are interested in that topic. So it's a, it, I think a lot depends on where they're specialized in, but money can come from um, ads on their own websites. It can come from courses they produce. A lot now create their own products that they'll distribute. A lot do digital products as well. So it's really varied and there's a lot of different opportunities to monetize as an influencer. Do social media, do you think that social media platforms benefit from influencers doing brand deals um, and using their social media as a medium? Probably, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, when we think of like the big social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, maybe Twitter, um, or X. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they do benefit. They benefit just from uh, use, I guess. And there's there's millions of people that use them that aren't all following uh, influencers. But I do think, yes, there's 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 some level of importance that influencers play in terms of who's going to follow whom and and who gains popularity um, and and what accounts they're using as an influencer. I think probably draws more people to those those platforms. But a lot of times, I feel like a, a, an influencer is gaining followers that are already on that platform itself. So I'm not sure if they're getting new, uh, I guess, people on as much, but I don't know. I don't know the data on that. So that's a good question. I don't know. What do businesses look for or what do you think that businesses look for in deciding who to do brand deals with? Do you think the follower number is more important than the particular influencers or does it matter like kind of how the influencer like fits with the brand? Well, I mean, obviously they have to have some connection to what the company does. Um, I think, yeah, number of followers matters. But again, uh, many businesses look for a very niche influencer so they can reach a a particular uh, demographic or psychographic. Sometimes we call them tribes, which is a type of way of thinking. So a group of people that think or act in a certain way. So, um, yes, I think ultimately a lot of companies are looking for influencers with a lot of followers. But the, what the influencer does, their personality, the things that they're engaged in, uh, whether they're doing things like corporate social responsibility or giving or you know philanthropy, I think businesses want to make sure that the, the person they choose to be kind of a brand ambassador for them should match their company values, their mission, vision, and values. So you're not going to want to just pick anybody. You want to pick somebody that really matches what you feel like your, your brand represents because in some ways they become a spokesperson for your company. Company. So it's more than just the followers, but I think you don't want to pick anybody that or someone that doesn't have a, a big following, too. That's really insightful. And it kind of makes me think of um, the like food collaborations you see, like I think with a lot of celebrities more than influencers like McDonald's, they do like a cl- like a meal collab with a celebrity. I think they did like a Travis Scott meal or I know at Popeye's they did a collaboration with Megan Thee Stallion. They did like the hottie meal or whatever. Um, and with stuff like that, um, do you think that 
that's more of just to get like a quick name out there? Or do you think they really look at those celebrities and think, oh, this really fits what we want to represent? I mean, that's that's a good question in terms of the um, kind of the new trend to have like a, a meal or a product based on a celebrity. I think still you want to find a celebrity if you're going to use a celebrity endorsement to find somebody that really represents uh, your values. I mean, there's always a risk when you choose to work with either an influencer or a celebrity because if they do anything that is detrimental to their own reputation, it damages your company um, by effect or sort of by association. So you do have to be careful who you choose. Um, Yeah, I I think they're trying to take advantage of somebody's celebrity status. And so, yeah, I think when you're pushing a new product, it's a great way to to gain kind of immediate credibility. We as consumers tend to trust celebrities, whether that's um, a good thing or not. We, we do tend to trust people that have some sort of high influence um, in in pop culture. So, you know, if you get somebody like Jennifer Aniston, she used to promote smart water. Well, do we trust smart water because Jennifer Aniston's buying it? Maybe. Uh, we, we tend to think, well, if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for us. So I know businesses will try to find somebody who's popular now that people relate to. Um, and try to latch onto that celebrity status. But um, so it is a little bit different than choosing a long-term spokesperson. You'll see companies that'll choose somebody that speaks for them for many, many years. And that's a little bit different than trying to push a new product or a service or a, a promotional, like, like, a, like a meal. So that's a little bit different. But um, yeah, I think I think you have to decide, is this, is this short-term? Is it, you know, how much is it gonna cost to pay this celebrity? How much revenue can we get based on this? Let's see. Do you think there are different tiers of, or we kind of touched on this, I guess, the different tiers of a brand deal of, you know, what makes a brand decide to do like a clothing collab with an influencer celebrity versus, you know, just sending like a really popular influencer a PR package and then like doing a, a review of their clothes? Yeah, again, I think it's really going to depend on what the what the influencer does. If we're talking about a clothing line, a lot of times the relationship starts um, when an influencer has um, a, a decent following but not an enormous following, and a company says, hey, we'd love to partner with you. Um, how about we give you some products um, and not necessarily pay them? And then the influencer, you know, is able to talk about their products either on their blog or on their YouTube channel or or other you know spaces, their social media channels, and and showcase the stuff that they're wearing and talking about it. Um, if that's successful, then the relationship um, tends to build, and and you know maybe their followers start increasing. Maybe they start. Um, working with new collaborations on them. Maybe they start showing up in some of their marketing materials. Maybe they start paying the influencer a little bit more. But those relationships are, are, are complicated. They're usually um, very different depending on you know the influencer. And, and influencers have a lot more negotiation power the bigger they get. So sometimes those uh, dynamics change as they gain more celebrity status. How have uh, ad regulations grown as social media has? Well, let me let me take a step back. Um, a lot of times, influencers will promote products on their on their social media channels or on their websites um, that uh, they're getting paid to promote. So there are regulations that, that sort of dictate how much they can or, or what they can say um, without telling their 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 followers that they're being paid to do that. So uh, it's an influencer's job to make sure that they are being honest and transparent with their with their customer base. And um, 
you know, the, the regulatory bodies in America, um, the FCC, kind of dictate what they um, can say um, without um, being deceptive, I guess. So um, they do have to be very conscious of that, I guess. Um, but again, I'm not going to be able to tell you all the regulations and, and how it's in- impacting them. So, What form of social media advertising do you see as the most successful? Ah, well, yeah. Um, <laughs> I haven't worked in a company for a long time to kind of track the data. You know, I think um, success is, is measured by a lot of things. So, you know, how much is our brand being um, established in a, in a particular target market might be a little bit different than how much product we're actually selling. So success might look like a few different things. But, um, you know, I do think... Uh, Influencer promotion is a highly successful form of social media advertising. I mean, businesses do tend to want to latch on to those either nationally or locally that tend to resonate with the target market. So um, that is a highly successful way of of advertising. But really, a lot of it, uh, a lot of social media advertising um, happens through analytics and and purchasing, uh, you know, cute uh, ad words and things like that. So a company can purchase a particular term or concept. And as people start to search those those concepts on the web, social media platforms like Instagram and Facebook know what you're looking for as a consumer, what you're interested in. In some cases, social media tools like Facebook can even listen to consumers so they know what you're talking about. And so those ads will pull up uh, in real time showcasing uh, products that a consumer is really concerned about. So I think it's it's just about um, tailored advertising, um, really customized advertising. We live in a world now where there's so much information and so much advertising that we're not really persuaded by a lot unless it's been customized for us. Um, we just ignore the stuff that doesn't seem to matter. So you have to just find a way to really reach certain target markets. That's why I always had to go back to this idea of tribal marketing, where instead of, uh, in the past, we used to communicate and market directly to demographics. So like age, sex, gender, maybe even like familial status, like do you have kids, at what your income is. That was usually what we thought of. It was all demographics based. But now, you know, there's this idea that um, an 18 year old might be interested in the same product as a 70 year old, totally different demographics, but they have the same value system. In other words, they care about the same thing. So it's not about demographics. It's about the tribe. It's the it's the, the way people think and act and feel in a group of uh, like a smaller community. And and so if you're a, if you're a company and you're trying to reach that tribe, you have to you have to identify maybe 15 different tribes and you communicate to them separately. So you create different ads for different types of people. If someone really cares about price, then you have a price-driven campaign that you send to them. Like, it's all about saving money. But maybe there's another tribe that cares more about value and it's or quality, than, and they don't care as much about price because they make more. So now we're going to communicate stuff about that, about animal um, rights or who knows what. You're going to communicate different ads for different people. Um, I think a really successful company that's, that's good at this is Subaru. They have the love it's what makes a Subaru a Subaru I don't know if you've heard that campaign that's their slogan but they use this idea of love and they have all these different ads they have ads for dog lovers and it's uh, and they'll always have dogs driving the cars and it's love it's what makes a Subaru a Subaru but then they'll have like parents uh, talking about the safety of their vehicle and how they they want to give their kids a Subaru because they'll be safer in that vehicle. It's the same tagline, but a very different ad geared for different people. It's very serious, where the dog ad's very funny. Um, so they're they're trying to communicate to different tribes, and then 
as a consumer, when you're scrolling through social media, you might get um, a particular ad that's driven towards you based on data they can, they, they can identify you as. And then, so how do you see a sponsorship of a brand with an influencer in comparison to just the straight up Instagram ads you get when you're scrolling on your feed? Influencers tend to pull a lot more weight um, for their followers. So uh, the followers that see that ad are, are more likely going to respond and engage with that than just a traditional advertisement. So an, an influencer ad, I think, really really does impact the consumer base or the target market or the tribe, whatever we want to call that, um, with a little bit stronger impact. I think that's why there's, there's a real push towards finding the right influencer for your company, because you can get uh, a higher level of uh, return. We talk about return on investment a lot. Um, if you're going to pay to push ads just generically to a wide audience, um, you're going to get some people to convert, in other words, to buy your product. But if you work through an influencer who pushes those ads to their followers, the conversion rate will likely be higher if you have the right influencer and, 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 it, and they resonate. But usually that's going to be more impactful. How do brands make their own social media presence stand out so that influencers want to work with them? You know, every brand has kind of their own take on this. but And, and you know, a lot of brands are owned by larger companies. Uh, but typically, uh, you know, to be a successful brand, you have to be consistent. You have to resonate with certain value systems. So you have to understand who you are first. And it usually begins with knowing your mission, vision, and values, and then making everything that you create go back to that. So if you're creating advertisements or products or, or, or you engage in different types of services, it has to be representative of who you are and has to be very consistent uh, over a long period of time. I think influencers latch on to brands that have a real clear identity and that they feel authentic. Um, they're not trying to just change as as society changes, but they really know who they are. I mean, companies and brands do change and shift with society, but they really need to have an identity that they that, that um, influencers understand. You know, I think I think of course that changes too. If you're if you're a relatively uh, new influencer and you don't have a great following, you're just looking to build a clientele. You might be more willing to work with. A wider variety, but as your as your own brand um, is established as an influencer, you want to latch onto those companies that also meet your values as well. So it becomes a um, sometimes in public relations we call it a mutually beneficial relationship, where it needs to be as beneficial for the influencer as it is for the company. And I think to do that, we just have to find you know matching missions and visions and, and sort of perspectives but a lot of it comes down to consistency though i know if i were an influencer i would want to work with a brand who really truly understood who they were and you can usually tell by the way that they produce their websites their own social media accounts their their products they all kind of match in style and feel and authenticity so i think those are some of the key key principles you probably want to look for um, do you think that today social media is the most successful avenue for advertising? I think it's definitely critically important. Uh, a company can't succeed without it. Um, but again, it, depending on the industry and who your target market is, you know, not everybody. I mean, if you're communicating to seniors, 70 and older, they're likely not on social media as much, at least. Um, statistically speaking, you know, so maybe some social media platforms aren't going to be as beneficial for them. Uh, today, we usually like to talk in terms of integrated marketing communications, where social media is a big piece of that. But there is still a place for traditional advertising. So if you're a big company, you still want to sometimes put 
ads on TV, or at least through some digital streaming services, or you know, put some ads in there. You're seeing companies like like Netflix are integrating more ads um, into their spaces. So those are not necessarily social media; they feel more like traditional media. Also, things like billboards are really good for local and small businesses. So if you're a, a local bank here in Utah. Um, billboard could be a very successful tool that is not social media, but you're still getting a lot of viewership from that. Uh, also sponsorship. So if you're like a Chick-fil-A and you're sponsoring local you know, sports teams and you have a banner on like local city parks, that's still a piece of, of advertising that, that matters. So I think, yes, definitely social media is a huge hugely important. It really matters for, uh, I think, 15 to 30 year olds who grew up on social media. Um, you know, I'm in my 40s and social media, I, I use it for sure, but I do think I am impacted by other avenues of advertising as well. So I don't know. I think we have to be strategic about where we're putting our money. It's made marketing and advertising a lot more complicated today because mm-hmm. you have to you have to kind of think about where you're going to distribute your funds. 20 years ago, you could usually think, okay, we'll do this much money in TV, this much money in radio, this much money in like print, like newspaper and magazines. And it was pretty standard. Now we're looking at like 20 to 30 different avenues. So you've got like six different social media platforms. You've got you know different events that you're holding. A lot of times we do what's called guerrilla marketing, where you're doing something out in the community to grab attention, look up billboards. So now we're just trying to find a way to really figure out where to push the, the majority of our funds. But I, th- I think also web ads, um, which isn't directly social media, but it's still digital and online, are going to be also highly impactful. So not necessarily, but also yes. That's great. Well, that's all the questions I had for you today. So thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I definitely learned a lot more about advertising, um, especially with that last one. I honestly never even thought about like billboards or stuff like that because social media just feels like at least in my demographic, like that's our life now. So it feels way more in my face than just like outside seeing like a Chick-fil-A sign or something like that. So thank you for all of your insights. I really appreciate it. Um, Before I wrap this up, is there any other um, points you want to talk about that I didn't ask you about? I don't think so. Uh, Thank you for meeting with me. But yeah, it's a fun topic. um, But I think think that's probably all. I don't know what else to say. (laughs) Sorry. We've gained some great insight into how both influencers think about marketing and about how brands and companies think about advertising with influencers. Now, let's talk about it. Professor Newbold mentions tribal marketing as an important part of the collaboration between a brand and an influencer. What tribal market do you think you guys are a part of? Um, I think that for me, what I tend to care about when I'm looking at what I want to buy is usually locally made or sustainable. Um, I really would say I'm in a tribe of like small businesses, I guess. I really care about supporting small businesses and try to whenever I can. Um, And then I guess on a larger scale in that same way, when something is made in the U.S., I tend to gravitate more towards that than buying products that were made foreignly. Um, and I'm not perfect and I think that's hard to do today, (laughs) but I'm, if I had to choose between something that was locally made, um, versus something that wasn't, even if the locally made product was more expensive, I think I would choose that. Yeah, I think I definitely see myself as a part of the sustainability tribe. I think that it's important to me that the clothes that I'm buying are coming from places that try to limit their waste. Um, and I don't think 
this value has anything to do with like my race, age, or gender. I think it's just like a feature that I appreciate from brands. Um, for me, I see myself as more part of the price tribe. Um, when I'm buying clothes, I definitely focus the most on the price. But um, if a product is really good quality and I know that I'm going to get like a lot of good use out of it and love it, then I will buy it regardless of the price. So I would say I'm also partly part of the high quality products tribe. I mean, you guys have seen like the like meal collabs and stuff with celebrities and now influencers, I think. I think like Charlie D'Amelio started to get like what a Duncan collab or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Is there like did you guys have any like favorite like celebrity like meal or product collab? I think that something like recently that I saw that was released um, with Walmart, I believe, was actually a line of cookware released by Paris Hilton. Um, It's all pink, which I think is really cute. I think that that sort of hyper girly kind of thing is one so Paris Hilton. But I also think that's just kind of fun to lean into sometimes. So that's something that I'm like definitely interested in checking out more. There's like a heart-shaped cooking board or cutting board, I'm pretty sure, and a little <laughs> heart-shaped like knife block um, and even like a little popcorn maker. So coming out pink cookware too, I think is just so I'm interested in checking it out. <laughs> I'm like about to run a Walmart right now. I had no idea that was a thing. I think... Um, my favorite like celebrity collab with a random brand was like the Popeyes and Megan the Stallion collab. Um, Popeyes for a minute sold something called the Hottie Meal, um, which was definitely my favorite meal collab to this day because one, it tasted really good, but also it was just really on brand. Like the packaging of the sandwich had like the little like mouth like symbol she has from her album. And, um, you know, it was the hottie meal with the hottie sauce because she's from, like, Texas, and she calls her fans hotties. Um, so I thought it was just really fun and also just a really good sandwich. Yeah, I also remember that one. I really loved it. Um, the one that I think was the most memorable for me was the Cardi B and Offset meal at McDonald's. Uh, I think this one was really interesting and different because Cardi B and Offset are together, and the whole marketing thing was a Valentine's Day meal, which I thought was super smart for them. Um, another one was Scissors Crocs collab, which I considered buying, even though I don't even really wear Crocs, just because I really love SZA. <laughs> um, do you think you've ever been, like, influenced by, like, TikTok or Instagram from, like, influencers to buy something? I think that I definitely have. I don't know that I've, like, actually bought a whole lot, but I know... Like, I see a product recommendation in some form. I feel like almost every time I'm on social media... Um, and lately, especially, I've really loved those like restock videos or these like organization videos. I think they're so satisfying to watch. And almost every single one of those platforms has like an Amazon storefront attached to their accounts. So I'd love <laughs> like browsing those Amazon storefronts. And there's always such random cute little like things to buy. I found a little like screen phone computer cleaner kit <laughs> that is in my shopping cart right now actually um so in that sort of sense I think it's kind of nice having people like find things that seem kind of handy to buy for you and just having to click a link from their page to find those yeah I think I get like stuck on certain sides of TikTok like senior year of high school I was stuck on the skincare side of TikTok which is definitely all about selling products um I remember everyone was hyping up 
this product. It was called Cork's Snail Mucin, which sounds really freaky, but <laughs> it was really cool. Um, and multiple creators were just sharing how it helps with like your age, like anti aging, and it helps with dry skin. So it got to the point where it felt like every video on my for you page was about this product. So eventually, I caved and bought it. I went to like a beauty store and bought it, and literally, it made my skin worse. So. <laughs> You know, it's great for some people, not for me. <laughs> yeah, um, TikTok is definitely the app that has influenced me to buy the most things. Like Instagram, it doesn't work. Like I think the difference with TikTok is that the influencers are like so convincing. And then you can go into the comments and people are like, oh, yeah, I love it. Like it works so well. So I've definitely been influenced to buy a lot of makeup and skincare products because of TikTok. Clearly, what we've learned about today manifests in a lot of different ways as we use our own social media accounts or even just go about our daily lives. This was episode three of The Influence of Influencers. I'm your host Josie Hines and I'd like to thank George Katzenavis for this episode's story, Marley Huggins for this episode's interview, and Sophia Denman for this episode's promotional content and contributions to our discussion.